Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. President Trump has agreed to meet with Kim Jong-un, but is less open to talking to Bob Mueller. We discuss the latest news and talk with Claire Swinarski about the pro-life movement and feminism. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsu Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode, everybody. Today, we are going to tackle some of the major headlines, have a conversation about being a pro-life feminist, and wrap up with things that are on our mind outside of politics. We also wanted to share that we really appreciate and are so grateful for the increased support on Patreon. Our bonus episode this month, I'm really excited about. So I just watched the six-part series on Waco starring the one and only Taylor Kitsch, who is the love of my life after my husband, and even a Steve Crush. But I am sort of obsessed with it right now. I'm really did not I'm embarrassed to say how little I knew about Waco and Ruby Ridge. It's really changing a lot of ways, I think, about people's perceptions of the government. And Beth is going to watch Waco, and we're going to talk about it on the bonus episode. So y'all go hurry up and watch Waco and become a patron, because I have so many things to say, and I really need to talk about it, y'all. Okay, so let's talk about North Korea. I've been very curious to get a reaction, Sarah. We should say, I don't know if this meeting is going to happen or not. The president says it is. Steve Mnuchin was on Meet the Press saying that's definitely going to happen. 
Other unnamed administration officials have been quoted in the press as saying they would handicap it at less than 50%. So unclear, but the president has expressed interest and enthusiasm in the idea of a direct meeting between himself and Kim Jong-un. So just so I'm clear, some people from South Korea showed up at the White House. They asked this on a lark. None of his aides thought that he would say yes, and then he said yes. That is my understanding of the facts, yes. I'm not missing any vital information. And this happened very soon after Rex Tillerson said, we are a long way from negotiations. But did he agree to negotiations, or did he get just agree to a meeting, or is the idea that any meeting would be seen as negotiation? I don't know. I really don't know what to make of any of this. I don't either. There are circumstances under which I would be very hopeful and optimistic about the idea of a summit between the leaders of the United States and, and both of the leaders on the Korean Peninsula and Japan and China. I think everybody getting together could be a very good idea. My problem is that the theatrics around just the discussion of having a meeting show how unprepared I think the administration is for something so significant. My main objection here is that if you give North Korea a meeting face-to-face directly with the President of the United States, what diplomatic options are left? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it just gives him too much validity. Well, and, and, and isn't, that, isn't that exactly what he wants? And where do you go from there? And I'm talking about Kim Jong-un. I could just as easily be talking about Donald Trump, let's be honest. If it doesn't work, then what? What's left on yeah. the table after a direct meeting with the president of the United States? I just don't know where you go after this, and that's what scares me. I don't pretend to understand all the consequences of a meeting like this. There was an excellent analysis that we'll put in the show notes from Brookings about how we don't understand Kim Jong-un. We are torn between seeing him as this all-powerful being with an unmitigated nuclear arsenal and really a child, you know, who we laugh about Mm -hmm. and make jokes about. And the truth is so much more complex than either of those alternatives. And I think that it's just hard for me to imagine that the White House has its arms around this. I mean, I don't think he's a child. He's clearly willing and able and has killed people in his way that he feels like are a threat to his power, including his own family. Yes, he has been extremely effective in consolidating power following his father's death, eliminating threats to him, using his wife as this very glamorous figure to showcase a more modern kind of invigorated North Korea He has opened all of these water parks. I mean, he's really tried to embrace an economic policy that emphasizes modernity and prosperity. So this isn't a simplistic, cartoonish figure. Everybody remember when they put Assad's wife in vogue? I remember, Anna Wintour. I remember. The strategy has worked for other people. And I think we're going to let it work again. I'm concerned by all this. I'm concerned by... The increasing validity of him, I'm concerned by the increasing um, just bravado of Putin seemingly poisoning somebody on British soil, two people. It's all very concerning. I just think that they are, not not to mention the now, you know, the changes in the Chinese government. To me, all this just seems that, like, some of the world's roughest players know that nobody's at the wheel, as far as global leadership with regards to this stuff. Let's be honest. That's what it feels like to me. Well, there it seems to be a global embrace of strongman leadership, of authoritarianism. Mm-hmm. 
an interest in a, a renewed interest in authoritarian regimes across the globe. And it is scary. And that's why I, I'm not against the idea of diplomacy as it relates to North Korea. Heaven knows I don't want a nuclear showdown. I just want it to be thoughtful and strategic diplomacy. And when you can't get a clear message from the White House on whether a meeting is happening, if it is, why, and under what conditions, and what we hope the outcome will be, that seems to me to be a recipe for a problem. And listen, the conditions for these strong men were set way before Donald Trump was elected president. I mean, I think that the election of Donald Trump and all these guys are a reflection of the changes um, in our global order and our global structures that make people incredibly fearful and nervous and therefore more willing to put their faith in authoritarian-like figures. It's just disconcerting. And Secretary Mnuchin talked about this potential meeting as though the United States were coming in with such a strong upper hand because of crippling economic sanctions on North Korea. But man, when you think about the headlines over the past two years, you know, you and I aren't getting intelligence reports doesn't look like North Korea feels that it's being crippled by sanctions. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just not, I don't trust the White House. I don't trust this administration to be to be able to handle this. I don't think Rex Tillerson is a fool. I don't think Nikki Haley is a fool. I think that those they're both smart, mostly capable individuals with values different than mine. So that makes me feel a little bit better. But at the end of the day, he can just walk into a meeting and be like, sure, I'll meet with him and blow it all up. So this has to be so frustrating for Rex Tillerson. I can't even imagine. Oh, my God. And he was like really sick. Did you see that? No, I didn't see that he was sick. Yeah, he was really sick. He'd been up for like three days. And I think he had to he like had to cancel a day of his schedule because I think he got really, really sick. He's clearly just putting his head down and like trying to do the work. I I mean, I'm not trying to lie. He's kind of earning my respect. Well, all the best, Rex Tillerson. That doesn't mean agreement, but like. Dang, at least he's an adult. I hope that he recovers speedily. We need a functioning State Department. And again, I disagree with him on a lot of things, but we do need the Secretary of State to be involved when the president's talking about sitting down with Kim Jong-un. What if he was like on the slack calling Hillary Clinton for advice? Like what if that happened? I bet things like that happen so much more often than we know. I bet they do too. I'm going to write some fan fiction about that. And kudos to everybody involved when that does happen for keeping it a secret. And, yeah. and having the having the requisite respect for the United States that that entails. Yeah, seriously. Well, speaking of respect for the United States, the Mueller investigation continues. It's been a weird week because Sam Nunberg made the cable news rounds saying that he wasn't going to comply with the Mueller team's subpoena. A couple days later, he was in fact complying with the Mueller team's subpoena. And but like real talk, was he drunk? I think he had something was going on there. I hate to just accuse someone, but that was bizarre. Come on. And there's also been reporting that the White House is trying to negotiate an interview for the president with Bob Mueller on the condition. I can't even say it on the condition that he put a timetable in place for closing the investigation. Oh, that's adorable. I mean, Beth, you spent a lot of time with Bob Mueller on his on his own personal website. Have you read anything that would indicate Bob Mueller would even for a millisecond entertain that idea? I have not. I have not either. I have not either. I wish he would like 
answer. Like, I wish that here's kind of, okay, I've got some, I'm, I'm full of fan fiction ideas. Here's another one. That he sends that reply to Bob Mueller and Bob Mueller responds like with a gif, like hopefully featuring Beyonce or Oprah, like a no way or like just a walking away or with that flame one. Oh, that would be perfect. That would be the only appropriate response. Give me a break. He's not going to put a timetable in place. Yeah, everything that I see from the Mueller team, and I do spend a fair amount of time on the special counsel's official website, is that it is <laughs> a team of professionals methodically doing their work. And they, will and like, they to don't do their care work. about you, dude. They don't care about your timeline. Like, they have a goal in mind. It has no, however long it takes. I do, well, I will say this, though. I do think they understand that time is of the essence. Like, they clearly are working methodically but efficiently. You know what I mean? I think they understand that time is of the essence. I think they also understand that this is not about Donald Trump. As much as Donald Trump keeps making it about Mm -hmm. himself, it is about something bigger than him or his campaign or this presidency even. You know, this is really a test of our country's willingness to pursue the truth, whatever the truth might be. And to pursue the truth in a way that infect, that affects the integrity of future elections, that affects our relationships with other countries. So if I were Donald Trump, I would just shut up and go to the interview and do my part and say, look, I am confident that this will that the facts will come out and the facts will demonstrate that my campaign acted appropriately at every turn. And I'm ha- of course I'm happy to cooperate because this is much more important than the the witch hunt idea that some in the media would have you believe. But it's hard to say that when you're the person tweeting about a witch hunt. Oh, Lord. Lord. It is hard to know what to talk about when it comes to Donald Trump because I don't enjoy just bashing him. This situation with Stormy Daniels, I think we have tried to avoid in a very disciplined way. Wouldn't you say, Sarah? I've tried. Well... I don't know if there was any discipline behind my avoidance, mainly just um, fear of the way in which my frustration would surface. But I I appreciate the vote of confidence. (laughs) I have faith in you. Well, the reason that I thought we needed to talk about it this week, there are two reasons. The first reason is that it is increasingly becoming less a story about an affair and more a story about potential campaign finance law violations. Hmm. The second reason is because there is an aspect of this story that for me links up with the Me Too movement that has just got me mm-hmm. on fire. Where would you prefer to start? Yeah, I really like th- I want to start with the the fact that they always describe her as a porn star. I really enjoyed that Twitter thread. I cannot stand that they always describe her as a porn star. And here's the other thing I can't stand. I'm going to just get on my soapbox for a second. Bear with Also, me. can I just stop you before you even get into the specifics of her calling her that? That's a stupid word. Like, it's a stupid combination of words. Porn star, why do we call them that? Like, uh, the adult film actresses? Something, like, a star is someone who is famous the world over for their charisma. That would never belong in the framework of pornography. Like, I just... Why do we call anyone who's in a porn a porn star? It really bothers me. It's not proper. It's not even the right definition. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, we use porn star over and over with respect to this woman, which instantly discredits her in some ways because of our Mm -hmm. attitudes about this industry. 
And women. Because it's salacious, and we like things that are salacious. Mm -hmm. And it's way more interesting to talk about a porn star than to talk about a potentially illegal payment that violates campaign finance laws. Here's the thing, Mm -hmm. though, that really has me riled up. If you have been following this story in detail, you know that the National Enquirer was involved in a catch-and-kill scheme with respect to her story. So they bought the rights to talk about her affair with Donald Trump for the express purpose of making sure that that story never ran. And they do this all the time. And what I have just been burned up about has nothing to do with Donald Trump even. It is that here we are in the midst of the Me Too movement, in the midst of saying we are finally going to take on real issues of patriarchy and respect for women. I want to stop seeing tabloid magazines at the point of purchase in grocery stores. That's Mm. where I am. When I think about the damage that National Enquirer and Star and OK and all these magazines have done to our society and due to our little girls, you can't buy a thing of bananas without seeing something about how much weight someone has gained or lost, about what's happening in someone's marriage. I can think of no publication that has so damaged women and women's views of ourselves and at a place where we see it over and over and over again. So I wish that we could have the kind of movement that is happening with like corporations choosing not to sell assault rifles anymore. I would just like to ask the Kroger's and the Walmart's and whatever the grocery store is in your area to move those things somewhere else. Free speech and all, keep publishing the trash, I don't care. But don't put it right there where every child and teenager and woman who walks through the store has to look at it while her groceries are being scanned. Because it is also damaging to little boys and men. Absolutely. A lot. Like I'm currently reading Dylan Klebold's mother's, um, Sue Klebold's memoir, A Mother's Reckoning. It's so good. And she talks a lot about his um, depressive struggle that she learned out learned about afterwards and part of it is like his desire for love and a romantic relationship and he saw himself as just worthless without this romantic love relationship and I think that mess like and that guy that guy in California who was a shooter like men especially boys get this message from these images too that like your only worth is in quote-unquote like procuring women and like your only worth is in having women fall for you and love you and just throw themselves at you and when that doesn't line up, like it's the the effects depending on that person's, you know, brain health or struggles can be disastrous for men and women. And it's just gross. Who buys that stuff anyway? I don't get it. It is a fact, a well-documented fact that that our current president cares a lot about the tabloid magazine world mm-hmm. and has spent much of his adult life making headlines, making relationships in that world. He cares about how he is portrayed in those tabloids, always has, so much so that he has this close personal friendship with a publisher that they will buy stories for the purpose of not telling them. And it just infuriates me that this is still part of our culture. If we are really going to change things in this country beyond just taking down powerful figures who've abused their power, which we should keep doing, but if we're going to really change things, I think 
moving those tabloids away from just the mainstream of our everyday interaction would be an excellent place to start. Well, and here's the other part of that, what you just said. He cares. They bought stories. Do any of us believe that this is the only or even most embarrassing story that they bought for Donald Trump? I don't. So if that's true, then what does that mean about the power that this person holds in his relationship with Donald Trump? Even if he attests over and over again, he would never use it. That's not the point. Donald Trump's his friend. Donald Trump is the most powerful man in the world, and now this man has a lot of power over him. Just saying. Can I be honest? The most surprising part of this story to me is that they tried to kill the story. What does he care? Yeah. What does he care if this story's out there? There's so much more out there about him. Because he's clearly getting something from it. That's why he killed it, because he's getting something in exchange. This was not a generous act. Come on. Like, there has to be something more to this. That's what concerns me. And I'm I'm struggling to believe that the something more is that it upsets Melania. I'm just yeah, I'm struggling to believe that that's the justification here. And I don't want to go inventing conspiracy theories. When you think about what matters to the American people about Donald Trump, I mean, layer on 10 porn stars. I just don't think anybody cares. I don't know why that's the case, but I'm accepting the world as it is. I saw where Maggie Haberman tweeted about his rally in Pennsylvania this weekend, and he announced this idea that his 2020 slogan will be Keep America Great! Exclamation point. And she tweeted that you could see how difficult that slogan is going to be because he loves to talk about how bad things are and how he can fix them. Mm. And if he's running on this message of optimism, that's tough. And I read it and for a second thought, good point. And then I just started laughing out loud because what could matter less than the logical coherence of his campaign slogan? It just doesn't matter. So true. So true. Well, and also just back to the National Iron thing, you don't, it doesn't have to be a conspiracy theory. It's just extortion. That's a reality of human behavior. It's not a conspiracy. Yeah, that's true. All right, let's move on to something positive. I'm getting riled up. Tell us about your Women's History Month spotlight this week. I'm excited. I would like to tell you this week. I always hear the drunk history music in my head when we start this. (laughs) I would like to talk to you about Mary Beatrice Davidson Kenner, who was born in North Carolina in 1912. Mary was very close to her father, who was super creative, her grandfather as well. And they both encouraged Mary and her sisters to use their creativity. And so in 1926, Mary created her most famous invention, which was the sanitary belt with a maxi pad. This was brand new. And she later invented a moisture proof napkin pocket to put around it. And think about how big of a deal this was. In 1926, uh, people thought tampons were indecent. So Mm -hmm. a lot of women were having to use cloths and rags, but that was gross and very inconvenient. And it caused you to have to stay indoors all the time. And so here comes Mary with this idea that really liberated women. And so she tried to start marketing it to companies, but the whole idea of feminine hygiene was super taboo. She finally found a company that was interested. And when they discovered that she was black, they backed out. So this sanitary belt did not start being sold until 30 years after she invented it. She patented the sanitary belt in 1956. 
And in her lifetime, she received four other patents that I will tell you more about on Patreon. Unfortunately, because Mary Beatrice Davidson Kenner was black and because she invented household items that were kind of distinctly in the feminine realm, there isn't a whole lot more about her life that I can share with you, but I am going to tell you about her other inventions and I'm going to highlight the work of some other black women who invented important products and haven't given, been given proper credit for them on Patreon. Cool. All right, next up, we are going to talk about feminism and being pro-life. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi-connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. 
We are joined today by Claire Swinarski, self-proclaimed Catholic feminist who reached out to us in the hopes that we could bring some more nuance to our past discussions of uh, reproductive rights and abortion. So we're so excited to have you here today, Claire. Thank you so much for having me. I absolutely love the show. So it is a joy to be here. Thank you. So the audience knows probably a lot about our background with this issue and our backgrounds generally. But tell us a little bit about yourself and your background with this issue. Sure. So growing up, to be honest, I never really thought about it. It just wasn't something that was often talked about. But I'm from Madison, Wisconsin. So if you know anything about Madison, you know it tends to lean pretty left. Um, So pretty much everyone I knew was just super, super pro-choice. But I didn't really give it a ton of thought until I got into college and um, I became more involved in my faith. And through my Catholic faith is where I learned more about the logic behind the pro-life movement. But I wouldn't say today that being Catholic is why I'm pro-life by any means, but that was kind of when I learned a little more about it. But I started to really see, especially these past couple years, um, this huge divide between uh, pro-life people who are out there holding up posters of fetuses and pro-life people who are actually trying to make a difference in the lives of women. And I just became so inspired by the connections I was seeing between the feminist movement and the pro-life movement, even though a lot of times I think that people would see those as completely opposite things. Um, Obviously, like when the Women's March happened, it was all over the news that they didn't want the new wave feminists to come and blah, 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 and all that went down. But the more that I've dove into this issue, the more I've seen that we actually can find a lot of common ground with the feminist movement. And that's why I totally think that there's a place for pro-life women within the movement. So that's kind of how I got started. And I have a Catholic feminist podcast where we talk about this every week. And just the more I've learned from guests, the more I've gotten encouraged in it. So do you feel like you think about this issue more as a philosophical, spiritual issue or as a political issue? For to, Because to me, in past conversations on this podcast, we've really tried to delineate between the two. And maybe tell us... Um, your answer in in which you think the most productive conversation could be had, I guess, in which area? Sure. I tend to think about it in both, um, but I definitely think that the most productive conversations are going to happen on the political side. Mm-hmm. I think that the second you say that you're pro-life and then you follow it up with, and I'm Catholic or, and I'm evangelical, people are instantly going to think like, well, I'm not. So I, I don't really care. Like that doesn't influence mm-hmm. me. And I totally understand why people would say that. Um, But I see this as a really different issue than other Catholic issues. So, like, for instance, I think that porn is bad. (laughs) Like, I don't think you should watch it. I don't think it's good for society. But I would never fight to make porn illegal. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a lot of things about porn from my Catholic faith. But abortion, I see as just a totally different kind of issue since it's involving life. And so... I don't see these things as perfectly aligned. Of course, there's some things I think um, that I don't think need to be laws because you don't have to be Catholic. (laughs) And I don't want you to have to be Catholic. If you have to be something, then you're not really actually believing it and taking part in it. But an issue like abortion um, is just on such a greater scale and I think is such a political issue that I see talking about it in that light much more helpful. Does that make sense? Yeah. Claire, Claire, tell us specifically what you mean when you say that you're pro-life because sometimes I think our labels on this issue really block a productive conversation so when you say I am pro-life what does that mean to you sure 
So I am pro-life all of the time, um, I, which is I know makes some people cringe, but I am 100% pro-life. So I just think that the matter, the means of your conception don't affect your worthiness to have a chance at life. And so I'm just pro-life 100% of the time. I'm against abortion 100% of the time. Um, but where the feminist in me comes out is that I don't think we can end there. Like, I don't think pro-life people can say, don't have an abortion, don't have an abortion, don't have an abortion, close Planned Parenthood, end abortions, and just end there. Because you're going to have a lot of women in really hard situations without the kind of resources that they need. Um, And so that's where, like, the pro-life feminist side comes in. I, you know, there's so much work to be done on this issue in terms of giving women the resources that they need to be able to carry a child to term. Even if they were to choose adoption um, and not raise the child themselves, there's so many things that we can do to make that process easier on women. I just see abortion as a symptom of a much larger issue instead of like a humane option. So I don't want to focus too much on the most divisive aspects of the conversation, Claire, but I do want to understand when you say that you are against abortion in all circumstances, how would you effectuate that as a policy? Sure. So that's kind of a big question. Um, I would like what I think is the right thing to do um, would be to make abortion illegal in all circumstances. So that means no exceptions in terms of rape, no exceptions in terms of Um, all of those decisive issues that you're talking about that we don't really want to focus on. Um, But that is what I think. And I feel like I have to explain that a little bit. I know we don't want to focus too much on that, but I feel like I can't just say that bomb and then walk away. Um, The reason being that if you think abortion is wrong in any circumstances, I have a hard time not understanding the leap between that and thinking that it's wrong only in certain circumstances. Because if you think that ending the life of, a, you know, a 14-week-old fetus, a 10-week-old fetus in some situations is wrong. To me, I just feel like it's the same age, it's the same developmental level, no matter in which way it was conceived. And so I think what we, what it would behoove us to focus on instead of throwing all of our darts at that board would be to think, you know, how can we lower rate? Like, why don't we have that conversation more in the pro-life movement? Um, how can we make sure that couples are staying together more effectively? Like, why don't we have that conversation instead of, oh, what if they're a single parent? You know, so that's kind of the, the area that we like to focus on more as pro-life feminists. But I know that saying something like we don't believe in any exceptions is really hard for people to hear. But I feel like I just need to say it because that's just I just see a lack of consistency of thought otherwise. Well, Claire, hear me, let me elucidate a little bit where I'm coming from when I ask the certain the first question. I think you are sure. right. And I think that Catholics, uh, one of my best friends is Catholic, and we talk about this a lot, deserve a lot of credit for being consistent on life, particularly when it comes to the death penalty. And I understand the philosophical, religious, spiritual inconsistency between saying we value life, but we will make exceptions for rape or incest or the health of the mother. Um, The reason I always am very careful to distinguish between political and spiritual is because policy doesn't have to be philosophically or spiritually consistent for me. So I think that that's where the the crossover between 
you're right, there should be consistency philosophically. And you're also right, there's not philosophical consistency within the law. It's fine. I don't think I think there's often inconsistency within the law um, because it's not a place to find philosophical consistency. It's a fine. It's a place to find um, policy that works for the most people um, in which we can reduce the most harm. And so I think the reason that's such an intense issue, but I don't think you should walk away from it. I think the the way you talk about it is wonderful. And it's something we all need to talk about as a society. Um, And the reason I'm very specific about policy is because I don't think you're a bad person for thinking that. I don't even think you're a bad feminist for thinking that. But we do have to not, I think the honesty that you bring to the to that point is important. And I think you also have to be, but what I'm saying and what I always push for is, well, then we have to be honest and philosophical, or, well, we at least have to be consistent and um, really open and bare in the way we talk about the policy too, which is if you talk about making abortion illegal in all circumstances, then you have to think through the policy implications of that, meaning would you jail women who consi- who persist in trying to have an abortion? How long would you jail them for? What would be the punishment for that crime? Would you um, put women in situations in which you would restrict their freedom if they persisted in trying to get an abortion? Would you force them to have the baby? I mean, not because – and I'm not trying – and the reason I, I'm always very careful – because I don't want to say, because you have sincerely held philosophical beliefs that you feel are, in, that I believe are consistent and don't make you a bad person in any stretch of the imagination, but we really have to talk through what that means policy-wise, policy-wise, right? And I think that you're, re- you're very right. There's lots of areas that, not just this one, in which both sides are inconsistent policy-wise. I mean, the hard truth is that abortions have gone down, and probably because of the efforts of both sides. We can't piece apart what part of abortions going down was because they got increasingly harder to get. What part of abortions going down was the availability of um, reproductive education, condoms, um, birth control. Like it's, we can't piece that apart. There's no way to do that. Um, 16 right. and pregnant probably had an impact, definitely had an impact. <laughs> so, I mean, and so I think you're right. I think that there are there's a big wide policy di- ranging discussion, but that specific policy implication for women and their their freedom of body and their, you know, that sacred right to control your own body is where femi- Catholic feminists or pro-life feminists, that's where the real rub gets. And we can't, I, but I think you're right. I, th- I think that as long as we prioritize respect for each other and understanding that just because you're sincerely held religious beliefs are different than mine or because I feel like they play out different in policy, it doesn't make us bad people. But we sort of run from it because it's so hard to think through the policy implications of that and so difficult and sets off so many triggers for people. But I don't think there's necessarily right. anything wrong with it just in the just in the the bare bones. You know what I mean? I do. And while you were talking about these specific policy implications, I do think that's important to focus on. And it reminds me, um, I know that there are certain countries like Poland, my husband's Polish, so that happens to be the one I know about. But like they are... The abortion is not legal in Poland, but they don't criminalize the women who do have abortions because obviously there's always going to be abortions, right? Just right. because you make something illegal doesn't mean it completely disappears, which I know that you guys talked about in your original abortion episode that I listened to. But on the flip side of that, um, just because something's going to happen is not a great reason to keep it legal. Absolutely. And so that's, and that's, where, the, that's the yeah. argument with gun control. Right, right. Um, and so that's kind of where I come back to is that you're right, there are going to be really hard conversations and triggers and these really specific things to figure out. I also like what you said about how you can't 
parse out why abortions are going down because both sides kind of claim their thing, right? Mm -hmm. The pro-life side claims that it's because they've closed down certain Planned Parenthoods and the pro-choice side claims that it's because of more access to birth control. Like both sides kind of say, oh, well, we're the reason that abortions have gone down when we just can't really say that. But I just think that that at the end of the day, the government can't allow a life to be ended. And I don't know who gets to decide what abortions would be okay and what ones weren't. And that's like the issue I have with the policy is I don't know whose job it is to say, well, that was a rape, but that wasn't. Or like, well, a 15 week old fetus, you can't abort, but a 14 week old, you can. Like, those are really big questions that I don't feel comfortable giving something like the government the power to figure out. And I just think another issue that you can't really parse out is the science of it, which sounds really strange, but if you talk to five different doctors about when life begins, mm-hmm. you're probably going to get five different answers. And so that's what's hard for me is when people say, well, a heart beats at here, brainwaves are at here, but who decides that those things are life, right? Like, wh- what is it? Eyesight, fingernails? Like, what is the thing that we're defining as when life starts? And so I would much prefer in policy to err on the side of protecting that life, to err on the side of not allowing a life to be ended, because I just don't think you can pinpoint a day. And in terms of criminalizing women, I just want to be really clear that I am not for that. Um, And I'm sure your follow-up question will be like, well, what do you think about, like, what if a woman had an abortion? And I don't know, but I feel comfortable saying I don't know. Um, And Mm -hmm. I know that that's something that would have to be parsed out, but I don't, I also don't want to come across as like, here's the grand plan for how we're going to end all abortions and make everything perfect because the grand plan doesn't exist. But I don't think we need the grand plan in place before we start protecting more life, if that makes sense. It does. And I agree with you. I I think there is a, a lot of intellectual gymnastics trying to talk about viability and when life begins. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that we do get lost in all of that and get away from what we're really talking about. So I appreciate that you're not getting lost in all of that and talking about what we're really talking about. So I'm interested in your thoughts about how, given that there is a set of decisions that you are not comfortable with government making, talk to me about your perspective that government making the decision that women will carry, carry fetuses to full term and give birth to children um, can still be a policy that increases women's agency because that's what we're talking about with feminism right increasing women's agency so so talk talk us through how those things go together for you because that's what I was going to just add on to that question when you say I think you're right I think that there is an aspect of government trying to decide and I think our approach to that has been foolish so my different approach is when you say I err on the side of protecting life, I err on the side of protecting the woman. And my answer to who decides is the woman. There's a really great documentary I highly recommend called After Tiller about the um, death of George Tiller, who was a late-term abortionist, and the, the women and men who carry on his work after him. And one of my favorite moments in the film, the woman says, I believe that a woman is an expert in her own life. And that's sort of my approach. And I think that we truthfully need people who err on one side at the table and people who err on the other side at the table working through the policy of, the, of something that affects everyone. So I think that, that that's the two, that, right, that's the two leans that you bring when you answer right. that question. So go ahead, sorry. Yeah, no, no, thanks for bringing that up. Um, part of me agrees with you, but another part of me thinks that we have the pro-choice side saying we need to put the woman first, and then we have the pro-life side saying we need to put the baby first. 
And I just wish that we could find a way to look at those two lives as equal, because I think in the eyes, yeah, in the eyes of God on a spiritual side, but also for policy reasons in the eyes of the government, they should be equal. You know, we say my body, my choice, right? It's such a popular sentiment, but it's one of the ones that um, frustrates a lot of people on the pro-life side because the government actually tells us what we can and can't do with our bodies all the time. Like the government right now says that we can't do heroin or that we can't like get drunk and drive a car. Um, like they tell us what to do with our body all the time. There's even like certain medical procedures that you can't do. And so I just, that's another area where I don't see a ton of consistency. Um, the other thing with asking a woman to carry a baby for nine months is again, this is where I want to see the woman and the baby as equal. I understand that that's a hard thing to do. I'm pregnant right now. Um, it is not easy to carry a baby for nine months. Like I have a child. I don't think that's easy. And that's another thing is that I wish that we would stop making pregnancy and motherhood like these really easy, beautiful rose gardens in our words, because they're not, they're super hard. Um, but I don't think that the difficulty of doing that overrides another human being's right to live, I guess is how I would respond to that. Like, I don't think it's the government making someone do something as much as I would say it's the government protecting someone's right to live in the same way that the government makes us, you know, stop at red lights <laughs> to protect the other people driving. Um, the government does make us do things to protect other people all the time. And so I kind of just see this as an extension of that. And what did, and Although to... on, obviously on a much greater scale, because it's obviously much harder to be pregnant than it is to stop at a red light. I don't mean to make that comparison, but Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. 
Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. And to best point, I mean, about the increasing the woman's agency, do you feel like there are things that get missed with what pro-life movement does do or could do that does increase women's agency? A hundred percent. I'm not sure if I quite understand your question, but I'm going to answer it. And then you tell me if I answered it or not. (laughs) Um, Like I said earlier, I think that abortion is a symptom of an issue. And when we continue practicing abortions, I think that we avoid dealing with a lot of other issues. So like, for instance, um, the Guttmacher Institute, that's like a pro-choice group. um, They had a study come out of why women get abortions. I think it was in like 2014. And the top three reasons were that people um, didn't want to be a single parent, like the man wasn't in the picture, um, or they couldn't afford having a child, or they were worried about repercussions at work or school. And I'd like to take it from the issue of, okay, can we look at those problems and start to work through them? Like being afraid of repercussions at work to the point where you don't think you can be pregnant for nine months, let alone have a baby. I mean, that's not okay. (laughs) Like we should be focusing on that so much more than we are. I'd really like to see pro-life people start to focus on that agency of the woman more. Um, Talking about, you know, how can we make life easier for moms? Um, how can we look at affordable childcare? Even things like like living wages. These all come back to those kind of issues. Like how can we make life easier for families? And I'm not even saying there's specific government programs, but even in charity, I mean, there's so much money that goes into the pro-life movement. There's a lot of really wealthy pro-life people who are willing to give a lot of money to policymakers. Um, and if we could refocus some of that money into things like I don't know, like adoption services. It's so expensive to adopt a baby and that affects people doing it. Um, And so then some women don't want to choose adoption. Like I think looking at things from that angle is really where that women's agency comes in. Does that answer your question? Yeah, and I think what you make a really good point and where I think there is a very important role for Catholic feminists and for pro-life feminists to play is that for better or for worse... There is a long history in the pro-life movement of making women about the role, the the reproductive role they play, saying that is the value Mm -hmm. they bring, saying that is Mm -hmm. the entirety of their identity, 
saying that being a mother is the most important thing you can do and that that's really women's role. I mean, it's just that's the history, unfortunately. And I do think that if you could create some space and say this isn't about that we think women are nothing but baby makers, is that we think that they have that by increasing their agency, because I do think there are a lot of women who have abortions who don't want to have the abortions but feel like they have no other choice. I think that is probably the majority of women. I think that there, I won't deny as a pro-choice person that there are person, that there are people who use abortion as birth control um, and who exploit the system. I think they are a small minority of people. And I think most women um, feel trapped and they feel like this is their best option. So I think that the, uh, the role of Catholic feminists of saying, and I don't mean like crisis pregnancy center will give you diapers for a, a, a little while and send you on your way. I'm talking about really advocating for, for policies that give women agency and the ability to um, face pregnancy, to prevent pregnancy if that, that's what they want to do. I mean, I, th- I think you're right. I think that there is a role for Catholic feminists to play there. I don't know if you saw um, – there was an article in Political Magazine called o- Obama's Forgotten Plan to Reduce Abortions by Michael Ware. Did you happen to see this piece? I did not. It's really good. We'll put it in the show notes. And it talks about Obama coming into office and really wanting to reduce abortion and really take on this sort of very controversial subject. And he talked, they talk in part that one of the biggest problems was anti-abortion groups, I'm reading from the article, most of which might as well be legally incorporated into the Republican Party, did not want to give a pro-abortion rights president the victory of leading the charge to reduce abortions. Moreover, they had already warned the country that the president would be the most pro-abortion president in history, thus making it difficult to partner with him. Then, on the progressives, the ideology and skepticism and the defensiveness of progressives, even some of the president's own staffers, were a roadblock. They knew that, for example, Obamacare was not going to get passed with abortion funding, but they they alienated some of their conservative allies because they didn't want they wanted to like basically delay disappointing women's groups, which is just silly. Nobody, everybody knew it wasn't going to get through. So why are we pretending, basically? And so I think that that might be an interesting for both both of us to talk about the frustrations with our own side, where we see blindness and where we see the opportunity for nuance, and maybe some some policy positions advocated for the other side that we could support, that we would be uncomfortable with, what we think would be worth supporting to move forward. Yeah, because no one gets more frustrated with the pro-life movement than pro-life people, <laughs> which sound, that sounds insane, but I promise you it's true. Um, like nothing gets me more fired up than pro-life people who I think are really just pro-birth, um, who Like exactly what you just said. I really want to read that article because it's people who aren't going to support anything Obama did or ever will do ever and cling to Trump who I, whatever, we don't even need to get on Donald Trump, but that would be a whole other, you don't want to. But I think you're right. It because it's not even about policy. It's about politics. This is something that fuels our base and we don't want to lose that. And both sides do it. Right. Well, and here's my question. Yeah. Here's, here's my question related to that. Because sometimes I think it's not even about policy. It is singularly about law. Mm. And, and I think that where we cannot have some of the discussions that you're trying to have, Claire, and I applaud you for wanting to have these discussions about what does it mean to be pro-life other than just criminalizing abortion. But I think the problem is that, that the caricature of the pro-life movement supported by the people with the fetus signs on the sidewalk now and then is that their only purpose in life is to overturn Roe versus Wade. That's it, right? 
And so a question that I have for you is, for you personally, how important is law in this? If we could have a world with very, very few abortions because of all the kinds of things that you're talking about, because we really focus our efforts on making um, women feel more supported in pregnancy and birth and child raising, we, we focus on the economic issues, we focus on the cultural issues, and it gets us to the point where there are very few abortions happening, but abortion is still legal. How would that sit with you? Sure. Um, so, okay, I just want to answer really honestly. It may not be the answer that you like or want to hear, but I think coming back to that consistency of thought, it still wouldn't sit great with me in the sense that I would still think there was work to be done, um, even if it was like very few happening. I, I do want to see none, even though it would never happen. It's the same way you'd say, like, I I want to see the end of cocaine addiction. Okay, you never will, but that doesn't mean you're not going to stop fighting for the end of cocaine addiction. At the same time, I am a person who would much rather have what you just said than what we have now. Um, and I understand that it may take more of a baby step movement to get there. That's a lot of divisiveness and a lot of pro-life groups, by the way. I mean, some people, it's like all or nothing. And some people are willing to take the baby steps, hoping that eventually we get to where abortion is illegal all the time. Again, not saying we're going to throw a bunch of women in prison for having abortions, but I do want to see that at the end of the day. So I think that the way it would sit with me is I would be like, this is great. We've done so much work. I'm really appreciating the agency we're seeing for women. I still think there's more work to be done, but there's also a lot to celebrate. Um, because like you said, you know, and also I should probably point out, like I'm from Wisconsin, so I, I don't see a ton of fetus sign holders the way that I have when I, I used to live in Louisiana. So I saw more down there. And um, I do think they're kind of different areas of the country are treating it kind of differently because I am seeing a lot of really amazing pro-life feminist things happening up here that maybe aren't quite popping up in the rest of the country just yet. Um, but if what you just said happened, I mean, I it would sit with me very well in the sense that I would still feel like we had more work to be done, if that makes sense. Well, and I would say- Because and I'm not looking for any particular answer. I just, I, I want to understand that because I do think part of the divisiveness and, and I think the reason that you see things like the Women's March excluding the, the women is because there is still this perception that it's, that it's always all or nothing. And mm -hmm. I just want to understand if that's the case or not. If it is, fine. Let's just be honest about that. Right. But I, I don't see a lot of room for nuance in these conversations because I think we're all operating from the lens of a direct adversarial conflict over what many feminists view as the ultimate choice about whether women are allowed to exercise control over their bodies or not. And I would say, sure. you know, I have my own frustrations with the pro-choice side. I don't think there's anything wrong, which has now become, it's sort of fallen out of favor with the pro-choice movement to say safe, legal, and rare. But I do want abortion to be safe, legal, and rare because even in an, in a scenario in which there is no shame or guilt surrounding abortion, it's still a medical procedure. There are still risks with medical procedure. It is still stressful. I don't want it to ever become not stressful, not because of any moral judgment, just because, you know, I think that the hormones and all the things that go through a woman's body, even the very beginning stages of pregnancy, lead to stress and anxiety. And I just, you know, Safely, I don't have any problem with safe, legal, and rare, and I don't know why that's fallen out of favor. 
Um, I think there seems to be this all or nothing, all or nothing scenario with the pro-choice movement in which if we give an ounce, if we say there's anything, anything not wonderful about abortion, then it's a slippery slope and all of a sudden we're all getting shamed and guilt for abortion. And I don't think that's the case. I don't think it has to be the case. But there is not a scenario in which um, I want women with health concerns or even if we get it down to 1%, I don't want people trying to, to procure abortions illegally. That is unsafe. There is no need for that in my eyes. Um, I understand your concerns about consistency, but I would hope that if we could get together on reducing abortions, giving women agency so that they do not have to be put in that scenario, good reproductive health, good birth control availability, um, resources for women who do want to keep the baby, like you said, family leave. There's so many things we can agree on that, you know, and I would even, you know, there's a part in the Obama's, in that article about Obama, where he, there's some data that an abstinence-only program is working. Okay, great. I'm on board with that as a pro-choice person. If there's evidence that it works, I'm, I'm the mother of three. I'm okay with telling teenagers not to have sex. And so, <laughs> like, I think that there's room for agreement. I'm also okay with a certain amount of process to get an abortion. I don't want to make it difficult to, for the sake of making it difficult. But like I said, you know, it's a medical procedure. And so the, the regular sort of processes, if I need to give some ground that makes me uncomfortable, I'm willing to give some ground to be uncomfortable if we can agree that, you know, there will be some discomfort on the side of the pro-life side, that there will be instances in which the majority of society, even if it's inconsistent with your religious beliefs, believes women should be able to get these abortions safe legally, safe and legally. So, like, I just think that that's where we have to we got to start walking towards each other. And, you know, I do think there's a role for Catholic feminists to play to say, I believe in the agency of women. Now, I don't believe that a woman and a, and a baby fetus, whatever we want to call it, are equal. I do not believe they're equal under the law. I do not believe they are equally philosophical for me. Philosophically for me, that's where my friend and I disagree. But I think that there's room for all of us who prioritize it, even if we don't agree on the way in which to prioritize women, to come to the table. But I think truthfully... The reason is it's because me, you, and Beth and people like us are not sitting at the table. It's people who make a lot of money in organizations on both sides fueling this fire. There are politicians who get a lot of votes and get a lot of their base riled up fueling this fire on both sides. And, you know, I think that's what gets so lost in all of this. It, I'm uncomfortable expressing this thought, but, but I'm going to. I think the, the description that you just gave, Sarah, and a lot of what you said, Claire, do take me back to the gun conversation. And I think the idea that we can't talk about abortion is safe, legal, and rare is very similar to the NRA position on guns. Yeah. We can't have any intrusion on this right or we will lose the entire right. Mm -hmm. And I think that the focus, the singular focus on overturning Roe versus Wade sometimes frustrates me. You made the analogy to, um, to conversations about drugs. And as a person who cares deeply about addiction and about the unbelievable drain on our society and on our spirit that drugs are causing, I have to be honest and recognize that criminalizing drugs has not done much for us mm -hmm. in helping prevent addiction in our society. And so that's why I keep coming back to sort of what is the goal, which leads me to this question. In your personal voting, how do you prioritize abortion and how how would you hope that other um, other pro-life Catholic feminists would prioritize abortion in their voting ain't that the question of the hour <laughs> in the Catholic Church right now um 
here's the thing. I I say it all the time, so I'll say it here. I certainly didn't vote for Trump. I also certainly didn't vote for Hillary. Um, abortion is a really important issue for me. Um, it's it's up there. It's probably the number one. But at the same time, I like to look at things holistically. And so like we said earlier, I don't think the pro-life movement should just be about being pro-birth. And a lot of current Republican policies really make it look that way. Um, and so, sure, you know, Trump can say that he's against abortion, which like his history hasn't even really demonstrated that. But he can say he's against abortion, but he's also for so many things that would end so many lives. And that's where that consistency of thought comes in again for me, which I know you said might not be important in policy, but I, I do think that's important in policy for me. Um, and so if you stand up and say that you're against abortion, but that, you know, you have no problem turning away refugees or that you're super pro capital punishment, I mean, those things end lives just as much as abortion does. Um, and so I don't feel comfortable voting for anyone in that circumstance at the same time. It, I can get in the headspace of someone who votes for people on a purely pro-life basis because, um, you know, if you're if you're pro-life and if you look at the fetus and the woman as equal, which I know, Sarah, you said that you didn't, and I understand where you're coming from, but I do and many other people do. And if you're looking at it like that, then abortion is killing a lot more people than the death penalty um, and a lot more people than immigration. I mean, it's killing like thousands of people every year. And so I can get in the headspace where that's the number one thing you vote for. Like, I don't think that's totally crazy. Um, but I would hope that Catholics, feminists, people in general um, would just look at things from that holistic point of view and say, you know, we don't want to vote for this person in this way just because they might one day eventually do something on abortion. But in the meantime, they're going to be supporting all of these policies that um, end life in this other way. I mean, I think pro-life from conception to natural death, right? So I, I don't think pro-life is just abortion. And that's why it's not the only thing I vote for. It's a really big one, but it's certainly not the only thing I consider. Claire, thank you so much for coming on with us and talking about these issues so honestly. I think it's very um, brave to have this kind of discussion and it's a difficult one. And I think you did it with a lot of grace and we appreciate it. Yeah, I think so too. Thank you so much for reaching us. Yeah, thank you for your podcast. I I, I tell everyone about it. So I, I really appreciate what you guys are doing. I think what you said about walking towards each other, I think that's what happens on the podcast and needs to happen more. So I really appreciate what you guys do. Thank you so much. Thank you, Claire. Tell people where they can find you as the Catholic Feminist. Sure, you can just head over to thecatholicfeministpodcast.com and all the links and social media and blah, blah is all over there. Wonderful. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Have a good day. Good luck you with too. the baby. Bye, thanks, guys. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. What's on your mind outside politics this week, Beth? Okay, so bear with me, Sarah, because I want to bring up something a little bit unpleasant about Oprah. Mm. I know that you love Oprah. I love Oprah. I don't love Oprah like you love Oprah, but I love her. I read this really interesting opinion piece from the New York Times in connection with A Wrinkle in Time coming out about how concerning it is that most Wrinkle in Time viewers are not going to know Oprah as super soul conversation Oprah. 
they are going to know Oprah as the Weight Watchers lady. And Weight Watchers has very controversially decided at about the same time that A Wrinkle in Time is coming out to start offering free services to teenagers. And I feel that it is important to get your reaction on this. Okay. I think there's a couple things. Um, People are definitely going to know Oprah as Oprah. Do we think teenagers watch Weight Watchers commercials? No. Like, I don't think that they're going to know her as that, because I just don't think that's where that media, that that's the age group that media is directed at, That like that ad marketing campaign. Now, maybe they're reaching, if they're going to start directing it towards a younger audiences, that's, then maybe they will be, you know, advertising on Snapchat. I don't know. But Oprah is Oprah. Oprah is a global phenomenon. I don't think people are going to be walking into Wrinkle Time being like, why is the Weight Watcher lady in the movie? Maybe I'm just being a super Oprah devotee and also old, but I just don't think that's the case. Two, so here's this tough part with Oprah and Weight Watchers. One, I don't really get mad at Weight Watchers because I think Weight Watchers is one of the more positive, I guess I'll use the word diet. I do really think that they've gotten, they try to progress, they try to help people and give structure to people to eat healthy. And that's what she talks about. She says, like, this isn't about limitations. It's about giving me structure in which to help me make healthier decisions. Um, so I don't have any beef with that. Like, did you, I, we talked about this, like, when a long time when it came out, that really awesome daily where the woman talked about, like, some people want to be on a diet. Some people that we shouldn't shame people because they like the structure of a diet. Do you remember that episode? I do. So I'm not mad at Weight Watchers. Like, if she was, you know, slinging lean cuisines, I might be a little upset. But I'm not I – I just don't have a big beef with Weight Watchers. Now, as far as a teenager, one thing, that is incredibly difficult. You know, I just – I don't know – and I've had family members who've had children that struggle with weight issues. Like, I don't know what you do because you can't just say, well, we're not going to talk about it because I don't want to give you body shame if it's – Health, if it's a health concern, I don't I don't know, man. I don't know. That's a really tough one. I have a big beef with Weight Watchers. So my problem with Weight Watchers is that if you want to really be about healthy eating, then rebrand. But it's right there in the name, Weight Watchers. Yeah, it is about they weight. Sh- they should change the name. They should do that. And I don't like selling something that's about weight to teenagers. Certainly, there are children who do not eat healthy foods, who put on body weight at a level that is unhealthy for them. But we also are coming to learn that some people have large bodies and are perfectly healthy. Mm. And I know that there are people who are going to send us email about how that cannot possibly be so. I hear you. But I'm just telling you, we're learning more about this issue all the time. And every culture throughout history has had large bodies So I'm ready for us to be done with making weight the most egregious of health issues because I just don't think that's fair. And I think we're doing so much more harm than good by making it such a focus. And so it does bother me that Oprah is so heavily invested with Weight Watchers. And it does bother me that Weight Watchers, at the time of this movie, made this decision to start extending this service to children. I think it's gross. I think it is beneath so much of what we see from Oprah. It really bothers me. Now, maybe it bothers me more than it should, but it really bothers me. And while we're on the subject, have you seen A Wrinkle in Time yet? I have. I saw it yesterday. What did you think? Um, I really liked it. I wasn't blown away. Um, I actually thought Reese Witherspoon stole every scene she was in. I thought she was the best of the three. Um, I thought the little girl was really good. I read a review that I thought was pretty accurate, which is 
the book is so dependent on sort of the reader's imagination. It's sort of hard to live up to that in a way. It's just just sort of hard to put it into concrete visual images, something as as big and complex as that book. But I thought uh, Ava DuVernay did an admirable job. I liked it. It was beautiful. I don't know. What do you think? There were things about it that I liked. I wanted to love it, and I did not. I loved Yeah, I didn't love it. I loved the book. I didn't love the book either, though. But I read the book as an adult. Well, I I was obsessed with the book as a kid. I thought it was such a wonderful book. And so I I walked in with a, a real love of A Wrinkle in Time as a book. There were things about it that I really liked. I really liked that Ava DuVernay addressed the audience before the movie. I thought that was neat. I think okay, more directors wait, stop. should do that. I missed it because I was late. What did she do? We were like five minutes late. What did I miss? No, they just she just popped up on the screen talking about making the movie, thanking people for coming to see it. It was really beautiful. Oh, and I it, love that. It was beautiful to see her do it. Obviously, this is a pretty historic um, director credit. But it was a great idea anyway. Like, I would love to see every director pop on and say, thanks for coming to see my movie. You know, we put yeah. a lot of heart and soul into it. I thought that was really nice. I thought the diversity in the cast was beautiful and what a movie should look like and mm-hmm. more interesting to watch because of it, not distracting at all. Like, you know, some people say, well, they try so hard. No, I didn't think it felt that way. I thought it felt normal and nice and the way movies should be. I thought the girl who played Meg was phenomenal yeah, and she was should really, be yeah. in everything forever. And I hope she that she is. Overall, though, I just thought that it tried so hard to be Mm -hmm. epic and it felt small in the process. And I wish that they had made more of a small, delicate movie that ended up feeling epic. Yeah. And I I wonder if casting, this is why I brought it up because we're talking about Oprah. I wonder if casting these really iconic women kept it from being as otherworldly as the book is. Because it felt very much like, no, this is a big commercial movie. There's Oprah, there's Reese, there's Mindy. I thought they were great. I I love them. Yeah, I thought Oprah did a good job of being otherworldly. I thought Mindy was fine. I didn't love her in that role. I didn't think she was sort of up to the task as much as the other two. Again, you could sort of tell to me that the person with the biggest, like, just pure acting chops was right through the screen. I thought she did the most with her part. So what are you thinking about outside of politics? Um, well, the kitchen remodel is moving forward, everyone. I will be purchasing the kitchen cabinets tomorrow, and I'm super excited. We're ready. Yay. We got it signed off. We got our measurements. We got the floor picked out. Got somebody to lay the floor. They're going to do it over spring break while I'm not here, which is the best part. So I will start posting some pictures on Patreon following along as they rip out the cabinets and we move everything around. Um, I'm just so super excited. My husband, we did some appliance shopping, which he really enjoys. I don't really care, but um, I'm just, I'm getting really, really, really excited. I did tons of painting. We got our doors ripped out and replaced with windows that were, that turned out really beautiful. I used that little matcher thing. Like I tore a little piece of dra- of the wall out, the the wall, pe- the window people did, and I took it to Sherman Williams and they like scanned it. Man, it works. The color matches exactly. It's amazing. I had no idea what the color was. Have you ever done that? Mm-mm. No, I haven't. They have a they have a little scanner, and you just put the little piece on there, and they scan it, and bam, it's the right color. So we have had several listeners say, um, based on a conversation we had on the Nuance Life, that we want us to have an extensive conversation about HGTV. How would you feel about that, Beth? Oh, I'm down for that, 100%. Yeah, I think that's going to be at one of the upcoming conversations on the Nuance Life. Everybody needs to get super excited about that. Um, as far as this Wednesday, tomorrow on the Nuance Life, we will be talking about... 
mommy guilt and mommy wine culture, which I have some passionate feelings about. So if you're interested in that, um, we'll be talking about that on the Nuance to Life. And we really appreciate all the positive feedback on our conversation with Shannon Watts. It was a great conversation. We were so happy to have her on the show. Also, a quick update. Everybody, I hope you're sitting down. We're in touch with Jen Hatmaker. It's going to happen. So get excited about that. And until Friday, keep it nuanced, y'all. To support Pantsuit Politics, please visit patreon.com forward slash pantsuitpolitics or rate and review the podcast in the Apple Podcast Player. Thank you to our executive producers, Nicholas, Chad, Tracy, George, and Sabrina. You can find us on Twitter at Pantsuit Politics or Facebook and Instagram at Pantsuit Politics. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. You can also hear his work and get more nuance by checking out our podcast on family, relationships, and values, The Nuanced Life.